Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 42. Obviously, that's the passage we're in this morning. I imagine it's a very familiar psalm to many of you. Um, just from the first few lines, reminds us of a very familiar song, which we'll actually sing in a little bit. As the deer pants for flowing streams, or for living waters, so my soul longeth after you, or so pants my soul for you, O God, depending on which translation you're looking at. It's perhaps the most familiar verse to us in the entire psalm, because of the song that's so named after it. You might ask, um, what does this psalm ultimately speak about? I found that after I read past those first two familiar verses to me, that it took on a very different tone than what I had noticed before. And so, in the end, once I had studied this, I realized that singing this song in my head as the deer proved to be more of a problem for me than a help. And you'd say, well, why is that, Pastor Dave? Well, the reason is the song as the deer has this peaceful and tranquil melody to it. And you might say, well, what's so wrong with tranquil? What's so wrong with peaceful? The problem, at least here in Psalm 42, is that if we start out that way and read the entire psalm in a tranquil mood, we will fail to see the true tone of the psalm, which is actually very different. It's the tone of somebody who is unsettled or otherwise at war within themselves. And I believe that following the instructions of Psalm 42 can lead to peace, but it doesn't actually start there. As we read verse 1 of this psalm, we often get a picture of a deer in the middle of a green forest. And if you're visual like I am, you can almost picture the scene, right? Or maybe you've even seen pictures hanging on the wall or in a Christian bookstore of this scene, and then the verse is printed right underneath it. And you're thinking of a, of a deer in the middle of this green forest, lowering its head to drink from a sparkling stream. The birds are chirping in the background. The sun is shining. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's the picture that fits very well with the tone of the song as the deer. However, I'd like you to imagine an entirely different picture this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to destroy that picture in your head of the deer in the forest entirely. We'll come back to it, I promise. I won't shatter everything that you know and love about this verse, but just put it on hold for now. For the time being, I want you to imagine something different. Imagine this, that there's a deer, but except... Instead of this lush, green, well-watered forest, imagine that this deer is in a desert. Imagine that she is alone in a desolate place, and she's looking around in desperation, maybe a little bit thin, panting for water. Now, never mind the question of how we got a deer in the desert in the first place. Okay, don't, don't worry about that. Just imagine it's there somehow. And this deer is stranded in the middle of the desert, desperate for water. That is how this psalm begins. That is a more clear picture of what the psalm is talking about than this tranquil you know, painting that we so often associate with this particular psalm. Not peaceful and tranquil, but spoken by somebody who is anxious and desperate. Somebody who is on the verge of collapse and searching fiercely for any sign of hope. Now you might be thinking... Well, thanks, Pastor Dave. You just ruined one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I had a coffee cup with a mug, and then the verse was printed on it, and now I've got to throw out my coffee cup. Thanks a lot. Okay. No, you don't have to do that. 
All right, don't worry. We'll come back to the coffee cup. It'll be, it'll be good in the end, okay? So if you thought I destroyed your favorite verse, don't worry, we didn't. But hold on. We'll get to that image. Our metaphorical deer will make its way back to the metaphorical forest. But we have to get there first. The psalmist here begins with a feeling of desperation. And you know, that's appropriate. That's helpful. In fact, I think that's more helpful for us this morning than starting with this lush, green, wonderful picture that we so often associate with this psalm. It's closer to real life, isn't it? The real Psalm 42 doesn't just paint life as all rosy all of the time where everything is always perfect and we have this wonderful, glorious relationship with God that never ends and is, and is always at that constant high. Rather, this psalm is useful for any time that you feel like you are going through the, the last of your strength and when you are at the end of your rope. Have you ever been through a dark time that you wondered how you were going to make it through? Have you ever been in a place where God felt so distant to you that it felt like he wasn't even answering your prayers. You were wondering where he was. You were wondering where you were gonna, if you were going to get through this situation or not. You were calling out to him, just asking, begging him to rescue and restore you, searching as a deer in a desert for any sign of water, any sign of hope. That's what the psalm is about. And in that sense, it's very, very real. And so today I want to answer this very important question. How can we be brought back into a place of joy when life seems to crumble all around us? How can we experience hope when it seems that we have none left? And that's the question that this psalm is ultimately going to answer for us. And I think this psalm can answer this question for us. Number one, because it's obviously inspired by God. It's intended for our sanctification, for our use, but also because these psalms were intended to be used by the entire congregation at the time they were written. These were written as songs. These are written to have a broader perspective than just that one particular psalmist's situation so that they could be applicable for many people to follow after them. Let's look through this, this psalm, and so I hope you'll keep your, your Bibles open this entire time, and we'll go through different sections. We're going to first look at just the, the subheading. It says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. If you're here, oh, uh, I guess it was about a year ago now, actually, that Eric Herb had talked about in one of our prayer meetings, I believe, about the sons of Korah and tied that in very nicely with some of the Psalms. Um, it says it's written by them. And then it says this word, a mascal. We don't know exactly what that word means. Maybe you have a little superscript, a little note by that word. Um, some people think that it's derived from the Hebrew word to have insight, and that would certainly fit with the psalm in that it gives insight into our souls. It gives an insight into the psalmist, what he's going through, or they're going through, and also what we might be going through as well. And also insight, not into just the problem, but also the solution as well. So getting into the actual numbered verses before us, I want to go through them just very briefly and I can't really offer much of an outline for you because it's more of a back and forth kind of thing. You'll notice this as we go through. And I'm just going to call out some of these verses and just look through your Bible as I'm naming them to you. And I just want you to notice in your head whether these are positive things or if these are negative things. If they're statements of hope or statements of despair. And you'll see the back and forth that occurs. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, okay, that's the famous part we've just quoted. Psalmist speaks of his de depressed state and what he's longing for. Verse 3, I'm crying while they say, where is your God? Verse 4, I remember how I would go into the crowd 
with the crowd to the house of the Lord. And, uh, and the psalmist is encouraging himself to remember these times of joy and worship. Then verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in the Lord. Verse 6, just the first part of verse 6, my soul is cast down. There's expressions of sadness. Verse 6b, you could say, therefore, he says, I remember God. Verse 7, deep calls out to deep. This, this part's a little hard to understand. I'm not sure. There's very few times in Scripture where I'm unsure what a verse is saying, but this is one of them. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. If it's good, it means the psalmist is calling out to God from the depths. It's, I'm in the, the depths of the ocean. I'm calling out deep, rising up to deep, uh, calling out to deep. If bad, it means something like the deep waters rushing and calling out to other deep waters, almost as if one deep wave is calling out to another and they're crashing over me at the same time. In that sense, it's a, it's a statement of despair. I'm not sure which one it is, but it, it's one of those two, and it goes very well with this back-and-forth idea. Encouragement, verse 8, God's love is with me. Verses 9 and 10, he's asking, God, where are you? My enemies taunt me. And then finally, this refrain, which was already mentioned in verse 5, why are you cast down, no my soul, hope in the Lord. All right, so that was just very brief, but I hope you noticed it's kind of a back and forth thing. You know, it doesn't organize itself into one nice, neat section or another. It's a battle. And can I just say that um, even before we get into the verse-by-verse commentary here, that many times fighting feelings of despair is just that. It's a battle. If you're depressed and you come to your pastor or your Christian counselor or a friend and you say to them, help me, God seems so far away from me. What can I do? Can you offer any words of encouragement? How can I solve this? I feel like I'm in such a deep pit. You know, in those times, have you ever been through them and emerged from it? You'll know that it's nothing that's solved just with the quote of a verse or just with one wise thought. It's a, it's a battle. If somebody offers you encouraging words of Scripture, you have to remind yourself of them over and over again. And you'll leave from that conversation, that counseling session, that talk with a friend, and you might feel encouraged, then you go home and you might feel discouraged again. And you go back and forth. And your, your words might almost sound like the words found in this psalm. God, why are you feeling so far away from me? And yet, I know I'm going to hope in you. God is my rock. Those kinds of things. That's the emotions that we see put on display here in this psalm. You'll find that as you read the word of God and pray, that your words might just begin to sound a little bit like this, if you're being honest with yourself. Moments of despair and then moments of hope and back and forth and constantly battling your, your mind. That's why I really don't like the phrase that's you know, said so many times in popular culture, follow your heart. You know, we're told that so many times in Disney movies and all this, you know, just follow your heart. Well, sometimes your heart is just deceitful. And your, well, your heart is deceitful. We know that from scripture. And, and it can lead us often to very dark places and it's sinful. And we need to correct our hearts. Sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. And so we find that's exactly what's being done here in this psalm. Not just listening to what our, our heart is saying. There's a good place for us to pour out our heart before God, to tell God how we're feeling, to describe it in depth. But then there's another part in which in our prayers we need to do more than that. When our heart is misleading us, when our heart is leading us into despair, we remind ourselves of truth and come back to what God's word says. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's preaching to himself. Now, with that in mind, let's go verse by verse. And I want to do so by way of two questions this morning. 
Number one, what is the psalmist's current state? What can we glean about his situation from the words that he is saying? Secondly, how does the psalmist find relief from this current situation? That's what we're ultimately interested in, right? We want to know what can we do if we find ourselves in a similar situation. First of all, though, we have to look at the original context. What is the psalmist's state? Well, we can see as you look through these different verses, okay, and if if you're somebody who likes to circle things, highlight things, whatever, scan through this and you'll see there are words over and over about um, non-believers mocking him. For example, look at verse 3. My tears have been my food all day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Okay? Um, And... Verse 10, you can look ahead there. It says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? They're saying this to him over and over again. Now, it's portrayed in a very generic manner. I can't say whether that is the initial cause of the psalmist's sorrow, that he is coming before God because they are taunting him, or because other sorrows have crept into his life and he's facing a difficult situation, and in the midst of that difficult situation, his enemies are taunting him and saying, that's what I said, you know, where is your God? You're in despair, this is happening to you. you, you claim to believe in God, where is he? You could think of an example of Job, right? Where the initial cause of his sorrow wasn't his friends, he was going through something much deeper, the loss of his family, loss of his property, he was crying out to God and his friends didn't make it much better. Or you could think of the example of Nehemiah. When he was building the wall, it was these uh, non-believing individuals who were taunting him from the wall, saying, you'll never rebuild this. God's never going to allow you to succeed. Where is your God, essentially? So I don't know which it is, but it's generic enough for us to be able to apply it in a host of ways in our situation. In whatever case, there are others around him, discouraging him in his faith, saying, God is not with you. Where is he? And that's just making things worse. As if his despair was already not bad enough, there are other people saying, well, where is your God? And I don't know if you have had that happen to you before or not. Some of us, depending on where we work or our family situation, we might be surrounded by a great deal of believing family and coworkers. But maybe there are some people, when you get into a hard place, they don't encourage you. Do they just say, oh, you're a Christian. Doesn't God solve that for you? They did the same with Jesus, of course. He was hanging on the cross, and they said... He calls out to God. He believes in God. He trusts in God. Let God save him. That's exactly what they taunted Jesus with. And as a result, whether it's an initial cause of something else or if the taunting is the original cause, this is causing this particular psalmist to be in a place of despair. And we see a host of different side effects as we read between the lines. It says uh, in verse 1 and 2, "...as a deer pants for flowing streams." So pants my soul for you, O God. So the psalmist feels away from God. As a result of everything he's going through, we can tell that he feels distant. His lack of closeness to God feels like a spiritual drought. He's likening it to water and a lack of water. He feels like he's far away. Whether that means he's calling out to God and God doesn't answer, or just a general feeling of despair, that's how he feels. It's very similar to Joel, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and you don't have to turn there. But it says this, To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. 
Second thing we see is that he's depressed. He's been crying for many days now. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So instead of refreshing streams of water, the psalmist has only drunk bitter tears. Number three, it's possible he hasn't eaten. He's lost his appetite. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. And I don't know if he's meaning that literally, that he hasn't eaten anything at all, or he's just using this as an image of just how much he's been crying, but it's possible he hasn't eaten. And I don't know what you do when you're sad. Maybe uh, you're like me. I, I eat more when I'm depressed and more when I'm stressed out and things. That's, that's not a good thing. But it's also not good that we, some people react the other way, that you don't eat at all. You have no appetite when things are just crushing you and weighing down on you. Others react that way. That could be very well what's going on here with the psalmist. So he's in a desperate way. But I want to ask the question and focus most of our time on how does he follow uh, through with this and find relief from this situation? So I want to notice a few things as we look through these scattered verses of what he says and what that might inform us as to how we can get through a difficult time in our life. First thing I notice is that he seeks the right thing. He longs to be closer with God. See verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come to appear before God? You see, a non-Christian doesn't do this. They'll seek relief from other sources, whether that's food or video games or fishing or beer or drugs or anything. You know, just being with friends doesn't have to be one of the extreme things in our list. Just seeking comfort from any other source. That's all the non-Christian has to be able to seek relief from a different or difficult situation. They seek other means of relief first without seeking God. And to be sure, there's nothing wrong with any of these things individually or most of these things that I, I listed. Um, some of the things uh, in that list God mentions as um, f- fine for us, the, the food. Uh, God has given that as a gift to us, and Ecclesiastes mentions that as being God's gift. Of course, friends are not a bad thing. When we seek counsel and friends, God's provided that. We learn from the Proverbs that, you know, if somebody uh, has a friend, has somebody by their side, they can be helped up more easily. And so all these things, um, well, I shouldn't say all those things. Some of those things are, are certainly bad for us, but uh, some of those things that I mentioned in that list can be useful and helpful. But none of them can compare to us going to God about it first. And I mentioned non-Christians. It's an easy target for me as a preacher to say, well, non-Christians don't have this. But we can respond in the exact same way. Even though we have God at our side, what do you do first when you come to a difficult situation in your life? When you experience a time of loss or a time where you have a problem that you just can't solve or a time of financial hard, hardship or time where relationships are strained, what do you do first? Where do you go? Try and picture that moment in your mind when the last time that happened to you, what did you do? You know, if we're not careful, we can make other things our God. We can make friends try to fulfill that role that only God can give us. Or food. We can try and find our comfort in food and make it something beyond what God originally intended us to do. And so in doing, we can make ourselves react in a way that's exactly the same as a non-Christian would. How often is prayer the first response to your difficulty that you go through? 
Here, we see the psalmist acting in a correct way. He goes to God. That's what he longs for. He desires it. <clears throat> David says elsewhere in Psalm 16, and this one isn't that we're studying this morning isn't a Psalm of David, but Psalm 16 is. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Or Psalm 63, 1 through 3, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. You know, sometimes we might feel discouraged and you say, my heart is breaking, I feel so discouraged. I feel, I feel so far away from God. Have you ever felt that way before? You're praying and you say, my prayers just don't feel the same I feel like God isn't answering me. I feel like my spiritual life is off. Be encouraged, even in those situations, because it shows that there's something about your radar that's still functioning. Because the non-Christian, or even the nominal Christian, who doesn't really care about their spiritual life, wouldn't have that same feeling. If you're feeling that in those times, it means that you had a point in which it was vibrant in which case your, your spiritual life was where it should be, and you still have that feeling going off inside of you saying something is wrong, something needs to be fixed. Be glad for that, because it shows you've had that point at some point in your life, and you're longing to get back for that. That's a bit of what David, or the psalmist, rather, is saying in Psalm 42. He longs to be back in that place. That's a good sign. Begin there. Long for God. Yearn for him as you do water or food. Seek him before other things that we usually run to for comfort. And can I just say, that's exactly the point of fasting in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's a practice that we don't practice a lot. But the whole point of fasting is for us to neglect food for a specific limited period of time so that when we become hungry, we learn that we desire, we need God just as much as that desire for food that rises up in us. That desire for food, that hunger, is supposed to prompt us to pray. So fasting and prayer are inseparable. They're supposed to go together. And when we are hungry, we're reminded that, yes, I need food, but God is my greater need. God is the thing I need first. How else does the psalmist find relief from the situation? Secondly, we see he remembers times of joy in the past, specifically of worship in the house of God. So we said the first thing he does right is that he seeks after God. That's where the psalm starts. That's where we should start. But secondly, as he's going back and forth through this conversation with himself, it says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my pants, my pants, pants my soul for you, O God. Sorry, it's all flipped around there. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come appear before God? That's what it says at the end. And in Hebrew, it's literally before the face of God. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to, with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So you see, the psalmist copes with his current pain by remembering more joyous times in the past. And that's a good thing to do. I wonder, do you ever try and encourage yourself that way? You're going through a difficult time and you remember great things that have happened in the past. You remember a happier time. Now those can sometimes, depending on your state of mind, can be more depressing 
then it might be helpful, depending on how you're feeling about them. You might say, oh, things used to be so well, life is nothing like that now, and that just further discourages you. But at some point, you come to a place where that emotion flips. And when you, you start to say, this isn't a depressing thought anymore, this is where I want to be. I, I want my life to be back the way I remembered it. If it's something I can achieve, I, I want to be able to be back to this happy state that I remembered I once was. And you know, if we jump to hoping in things other than God, we can often hope for things maybe that can't ever be again. Maybe we might say, oh, I remember when I was younger and healthier and could do more things. And if we're looking to that as a goal and we're now older, we might say, well, I don't know what I can do about that because I can never get back to that, that time. Or if, if it's a relationship that you once had with a friend or somebody else and that's now been broken or things have just been separated, you might say, well, what am I supposed to do now? I can't imagine how I'd ever restore that. But if your hope is in God and the, the joyous times that you remember are times of worship, then that can't be taken away from you. That can be restored. See, these other things, they can be so far beyond us that they can't ever be achieved again, but this is constant. The thing he's hoping for isn't just better circumstances or a time when he had more money or when things were better for him, but he's saying, the thing I remember, the memory that gets my spirits up is times in the house of the Lord when I was worshiping. That can be achieved again. And that's something for us to encourage our soul with. So times in the house of the Lord, right, should be times of joyous moments, right? And, and it's a balance because, of course, there are some churches, you could say, that really are more of a celebratory nature. And then there are some churches that are more of a somber nature. Or different services, depending on which, which one you go to, might be more of one or the other. Sometimes a church can focus too much on the celebratory nature of it, that we lose the solemnity and, and the fact that we're supposed to be worshipful and, and reverent before God. But then there can also be the other end of the spectrum where we're so reverent and so serious about it, we lose the celebratory nature. So there has to be a balance somewhere in that mix. But one thing I can say for sure is that we should be able to have memories like this, like the psalmist is describing. He's saying, I'm in an oppressed state. This is hard for me to go with, but one thing I remember, how I would go to the, with the throng and lead them in a procession to the house of, of God with glad shouts, with songs of praise, a multitude-in-keeping festival. You know, emotions aren't bad. We can sometimes think, oh, the, you know, the, the, the intellectual things, we want to make sure we're studying and doing all that kind of stuff, and then the emotions, they can sometimes lead us away. But in this case, the emotions are a good thing. It's the emotions that he remembers that draws him back. He says, I remember those joyous times. I remember times of singing. I remember times when those songs encouraged my heart. I remember times of being with God's people in worship. And those were the good days. And I long for that again. Those are the things that we should desire. That times of difficulty shouldn't push us away from God and say, forget it. If this is going on in my life that I never want to be in the house of the Lord again. But no, I remember times of when I was worshiping and celebrating with God's people and I loved it and I want to be there again. So what do you do? You, you go to God. That's the first step. And number two, remember times of joy in the past, specifically times of praising God and how that felt. And I hope you have those memories. And if you're saying this morning, well, Pastor Dave, I don't have those memories. It's hard for me to reach back, and, and I can't identify with what the psalmist is saying. Well, then that's where now comes into play. 
when you're not going through something difficult like this, because this whole psalm presupposes that the person who's writing it has had a life of faithfulness thus far. Because if you don't have those times of worship in your past, you can't refer back to them. If you've never drawn upon God and and called out to him in the past, then you wouldn't know what it is to, to come back to him, to long for him like a deer longs for streams of water. All this presupposes that this is a regular discipline in our life already. So how do you prepare for these? You have to be regularly worshiping. And you have to be regularly praying and regularly reading the word of God before they ever happen. The preparation starts and the solution starts well before we ever have the difficulty. Because without those experiences, we wouldn't have them to draw from. So let me ask you this. Are you going through a perfectly fine time in your life right now? And, and no difficulty whatsoever. If so, stock up on these kinds of things. Practice spiritual discipline. Read your Bible. Pray. Worship regularly in the house of the Lord so that you have that to draw back on when these times of difficulty come. Because if not, then your response won't be the same as what the psalmist says here. Third way that we get through these difficult times is by preaching to ourselves. And I've already said that to you this morning. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. How does the psalmist find renewal in the midst of his current situation? He preaches to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's asking himself a question. He's his own counselor. And again, not that there's anything wrong with having a counselor and having friends to talk these things over, but in this case, he's the one asking himself the question. You know, if, if you're somebody who walks around, sometimes talks to yourself, don't worry, I won't think you're crazy. Okay, the psalmist did, and, you know, he's inspired, so it's okay, right? Um, so you can do this. If you're, if you're discouraged, talk out loud. Say, why are you cast down my soul? And, and encourage yourself with the word of God, with promises. Hope in God, for again I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. He knows that he's going to come to a place where he's going to praise him again. Either that's a statement of, one day I know I'm going to be out of this and praise him, or it's a statement of promise now, saying I am going to, I'm going to vow to praise him now. Even though I'm going through this difficulty, again, I shall praise him. I am praising him now for the goodness that I see going on in my life right now. It's good to be reminded of promises of God in this situation. And again, if you've, if you've never studied scripture, if you've never read it, then you're like, well, that's great, Pastor Dave, but what promises do I have to draw on? I'm drawing a blank. I don't know the Bible well enough. Okay, here's, here's a link. You can, this is going to be the cheating way. Better way is to read your Bible through in a year. Okay, let me say that. And keep reading it regularly and memorizing it. That's the best way. If you don't know where to begin, though, let's say you haven't done that. Okay, here's a link. You can write down if you've got a pen. Openbible.info slash topics. You can write that down. Openbible.info slash topics. There is a wonderful site there that I've been to many times for lessons or whatever where you type in, um, what does the Bible say about hope? And, and it gives you a little box. What does the Bible say about uh, depression. What does the Bible say about this? And it lists a bunch of things. And if you don't know where to start, openbible.info slash topics. Because in, you know these things often come upon us in times when we're least expecting it. And you might not have a list prepared. You might not have a list of helpful verses in the back of your Bible or have things underlined in time. I hope you do. 
I hope these things are regular practices for you so that when trouble comes, you know where to go. But if you don't, that can be a good starting place. Look up something like that. Or you just Google search it or, or go to a pastor <laughs> or, or, a, or an elder or a friend, family member. There are people in your life, I'm sure, and in this church that could offer you good words of encouragement from the word of God. Do any of those things so that you have truth to battle falsehood with. Because that's what you've got to do. If you don't have truth, and if you don't know where to go, then it's hard for you to preach against your, your, your mind and the things that your mind is telling you. It's hard to preach to yourself if you don't know what to preach. So make sure you build that up in your mind as you regularly read the, the Word of God. John Piper says, Joy must be fought for relentlessly. And that is true. That is very true. Psalmist says it here in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Okay, see that back and forth. My soul is back, is, is downcast, but therefore I am going to remember you. And then it says this, from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Okay, we got to do some explanation here because we don't know where these places are. Mount Hermon is the highest peak of several hills in the mountain range that form the border of North uh, Israel, Israelite control at the time that this psalm was written. It's 9,000 feet above sea level. In contrast, if you try and look for where Mount Mizar is, okay, it's not found on the map. Nobody really knows where it is. In Hebrew, Mizar means little hill. So I think what the psalmist is saying here is from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows, I'll remember you, O God. In other words, no matter what happens, I will choose to remember and believe that you were there. It's like how Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever comes my way, whether I'm in the highest of heights or the lowest of lows, whether I'm on um, Mount Hermon or Mount Mizar, whatever it is, God, I'll praise you. Verses 5 and 11, the psalmist repeats this exhortation to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me ask you this. Can you identify with any of the words of this psalm? Are you downcast this morning? Are you discouraged? Have non-believing co-workers or friends or family or neighbors been discouraging you, saying, where is your God in all this? You're a Christian. You're here on a Sunday morning. Why aren't things any better? Are you in pain? Are you enduring hardship? Are you pressed by others? The psalm offers us hope. It offers us a guide. Hope in God, it says, over and over. Use this time to recognize that you need God like a thirsty deer needs water. He is essential. He is the thing we need most. Desire to be close to God. How do you become close to God? You pray to him. You make it your first instinct. This entire psalm is a prayer. You can use this prayer. That's the neat thing about it. You can pray the Psalms. If you don't know how to pray, you can just open this up to Psalm 42 and use the words. They're meant for that. And you can use your own description as to how things are going with you. You can use it as a starting point and something you can come back to over and over. Pray to God. Make it your first instinct. Pour out your heart before God. Even pour out your heart to God before you pour it out to others. Ask yourself, am I using other things as the crutch that I go to before I go to God? Is the first thing I desire 
when difficulties come into my life, is it God? Is it a closer relationship to him? Is it knowing that he's here? Is it that hope that used to reside within me that God is going to get me through this? If you're relying on other things, if it's food, if it's entertainment, if it's just going off into the woods, if that's, you know, when I'm just depressed, I just I go out in the woods and just kind of by myself. Um, or when I'm depressed, I, I just play video games until I just feel better. Or sleep. Could be that. I just sleep it off. And then in the morning, I feel better. Don't use other solutions in place of the power of prayer that God has given you. And yes, all those, some of those things can have their place. They can help us get through it. God can use a multitude of means. But make God the first thing that you go to. Express how you really feel in prayer, yet don't let your emotions just guide you alone. Preach to yourself. Read scripture. Remind yourself of truth. Store up scripture for yourself so that when you're reading throughout the year, you can write down different verses and say, aha, this is good. I might need this sometime. This might be helpful. Flip to the back of your Bible you know, and write in some of your, your favorite verses or the front. Or if you're a digital kind of guy like I am, make a note, you know, make an Evernote note of it or, or whatever it is you use on your phone or your computer or whatever so that you have it to refer to, to go to when you need it. Preach to yourself. Long for the times of worship where God, re, uh, uh, worship of God where you rejoiced with all of your might. Believe that God listens and then Believe that God will restore your joy. Hope in God. And when you do so, your soul will be satisfied like a deer that finds a rushing stream of water. Then God will grant to you peace and tranquility like a deer that lies down on soft grass in a beautiful field, a well-watered one with the sun shining where everything is at peace. Find God, hope in him, and believe that in his arms you will find your greatest refreshment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that in whatever situation people might be in this morning, maybe it's in a time of deep despair. If that be the case, God, I pray that this psalm from your word, because your word has power, that it would encourage them and strengthen them and be to them as a rock, and that you would become their rock. And God, I pray for anybody who is yet to go through a difficult situation, that they would take this time to prepare, to read the word, to practice prayer as a regular discipline, to practice worship as a regular discipline, so that when these times come, they can say with the psalmist how they long to be with the people of God, so that they can say, not God, where are you, but God, you are my rock, as the psalmist says to believe and to trust and to know that you are the one that brings ultimate refreshment in a dry place. God, I pray for all of us that you would strengthen our faith, cause us to trust and believe you. May your word grant the power to believe and may your Holy Spirit encourage us through whatever we face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.